0: Hey, everybody, Father John Ricardo from Acts 29, and I just want to make a, a quick introduction to these homilies that uh, we're airing right now. These were originally proclaimed a year ago, uh, Holy Week 2019, and though they're a year old, they seem even more relevant right now, given the situation that we find ourselves in, not just in the country, but in fact in the world as we continue to deal with this pandemic. The theme a year ago was reflecting on the extraordinary things that God has done for us in the person of his Son and how those things, those real moments in history, namely Jesus' death and his resurrection and then his sending us out into the world to recreate the world or to be agents of recreation until he gloriously returns, only seem more significant now. Given, obviously, the number of people who are sick and who are struggling because of the virus, those who are anxious about loved ones who are sick, the many men and women who are putting themselves on the front lines each and every day, whether it's in healthcare or in other ways of being first responders, those who go to work so that we can have the things that we need to live our daily lives, and the rest of us who are just simply wondering, where is God in all of this? All of those things are addressed in these three, uh, I was going to say short, but they're not short homilies. So again, even though they're recorded from a year ago, we pray that the Word of God, uh, which is the substance and the foundation of everything that's being reflected upon, will find room in our hearts to calm our fears and anxieties and to fill us with unshakable confidence in Jesus, who is not just kind or good or merciful, but who is risen and who is Lord and who holds our lives in his hands. God bless you all. So I'm approaching these uh, three days that have begun, tonight, tomorrow, and Holy Saturday, especially the vigil. as something like a, a mini parish mission Uh, the last one I get to be a part of, if you will. This is the last time I get to celebrate these extraordinary feasts that we're celebrating this week with this um, really amazing parish family. It has been an honor to have uh, a chance to celebrate 12 triduums with Our Lady of Good Counsel. I don't know where I'll be this time next year, I just know that wherever it is, I will remember all of you and all of these years that many of us, anyway, have had a a chance to celebrate what God has done here. You've been my family. Ask my sisters, they will tell you that for more than a decade. And I just want to say, as we begin these great days, what an honor it has been to serve here. How thankful I am to you uh, and how much I really love you. I've always found the crowd at this particular Mass, Holy Thursday, to be the most inspiring. This is not a holy day of obligation. If you're here tonight, you get it or you want to get it unless you got dragged here by your folks. And if you did, sorry, you're gonna be here a while. I know many of us are going to stay after Mass to go downstairs to pray. Some of us are going to go home, change, and then come back to pray. Once again, just a reminder that the church is open until midnight. The Blessed Sacrament is reserved downstairs in our social hall so as to give you and me a chance just to waste time with God and to ponder anew all it is that we are beginning to celebrate in these great days. These are the three days that forever changed the history of the world. And so again, I'm Asking Jesus myself and want to encourage you as well, Lord, teach me something new this year. So I'm approaching each of these three days as something like a chapter in a three chapter book. So I'll give you the titles in advance of where we're going to go. So the, the tentative title for the Easter Vigil on Saturday night is The Deceiver is Deceived. His dominion is destroyed, and you and I are sent out as witnesses. Tomorrow, Good Friday, is something for everyone. And tonight, I want to entitle The End of the Eclipse. So let me try to touch on three things tonight. Two recent articles that were written by a local popular columnist in our Detroit area, the connection between these two, and what I think is the one word that God wants all of us to hear in these days. So first, the two articles. Mitch Album, writer in the Detroit Free Press, wrote a Sunday article a few weeks back that was entitled, Why is Living Shorter Dying Sooner? A new trend. So, if you happen to see this album notes that life expectancy in our country, despite unbelievable advances in science and medicine, is going to decline for the third straight year. That's the first time since 1918 that that's happened in our country. For those of us who don't remember 1918, I think we have one person in the parish who was alive in 1918, although she doesn't remember it either. <laughs> that was the year the end of World War I and the outbreak of the Spanish flu, which impacted a third of the world's population and which caused some 700,000 deaths or so in our country. But unlike that year, when the war and this pandemic, which was the worst recorded pandemic in the history of the world, ravaged our country, and our world, we're declining due to what are often called deaths of despair. Drug-related fatalities, suicide, and liver cirrhosis, usually connected with alcohol addiction, which is particularly high in the ages of those who are 25 to 34. That age group, some people would say, is drinking itself to death. America, Album wrote, seems to be losing hope. And this isn't happening amongst the poorest people in our country. It's happening amongst us. Those who are firmly in the middle. Those who Album describes have a lifestyle that the poor and the indigent often envy. Now, he lists possible causes for these deaths of despair, things like economic pressures, job loss, foreclosures, divorce, a general dissatisfaction with life, and the impact of social media, most especially on our youth. I don't deny any of that. Those things are impacting not just people in general, but people here tonight. Father Prentice and I talk often about how extraordinary it is in a community like ours with so much wealth, how many people here are hurting and finding themselves in situations of downright despair. This stuff is real. I get it. I've mentioned on a number of occasions, I battle with depression myself. Two weeks ago, Album wrote another column. This one was entitled, America Has a New Tune, Losing Its Religion. And in this article, he reported that there are now in America as many people who self-identify as having no religious affiliation, they're sociologically called nuns, not the kind who wear veils, but N-O-N-E-S. There's as many people who identify as nuns as identify as being Catholic or evangelical, which are the two largest religious affiliations in our country. There are a number of reasons for this decline and for the rise of nuns. Obviously, the scandals that we are living through in the church right now are causing massive damage. Not just amongst you, amongst us, as we continue to see what's going on in the church right now. But as we offer or enter into these holiest of days, let me try to offer a possible connection between these two articles, and more importantly, a reason for you and I to have hope in the midst of these days and to leave here, especially Saturday night or Sunday morning or afternoon, compelled to tell people about God. I would suggest the two articles are related, although album doesn't make the connection. Vatican II wrote this, Without the Creator, the creature would disappear. And when God is forgotten, the creature itself grows unintelligible. St. Pope John Paul II, who was there at Vatican II, he once wrote that the eclipse of the sense of God has devastating consequences for the creature made in his image and likeness and made for love. Or another person simply put it last week, a world without God can only be a world without meaning. For where then does everything that is come from? Album wrote America seems to be losing hope. Let me say that more forcefully. America has no hope. And the world has no hope. not without God, and not without his saving power and his love. Want the proof? With what are you and I going to fight death? We might delay it a few years, but it will win in all of our lives. That sense of hopelessness and of futility of feeling powerless and stuck is summed up in a, an odd little passage in the last book of the Bible, the book of Revelation. John writes this, I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne, that's God, a scroll written within and on the back, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. And I wept much, that no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. What in the world does this mean? The scroll was an image of human history. The seven seals are an image of the fact that history is stuck, it's locked in a vicious cycle of futility, it's trapped in hopelessness. And the weeping is due to the fact that there's no way out of this hopeless situation. I've stated a number of times, especially over the course of the last year, you, me, our world, everybody, we're in the mess that we're in because our race was deceived in our infant years by a creature who was made good by God, but who out of envy of us tricked our first parents in the infancy of our race to rebel against God. The result of that was our race handed itself over to slavery, unknowingly to powers you can never win against, most especially sin, death, and hell itself. That's the bad news. Here's the good news. There is a way out. And the way out's tied to the appearance of a mysterious figure in the Old Testament, a figure who's a a foreshadowing of something, someone, actually, who is to come. Come. And the figure is a lamb. The text on the wall in the sanctuary right behind me, Genesis 22, 8, reminds us of how Abraham was tested by God and led his only son, his beloved son Isaac, up Mount Moriah where he was about to offer him as a Holocaust. Now make no mistake, this reading causes people tremendous confusion. God never intended or would have let Abraham kill his son. It was a test. It wasn't just a test. It was a foreshadowing. A foreshadowing of another only beloved son who ascended another hill called Calvary, which if you've been to Jerusalem is about a long football throw away from Mount Moriah. And this son, in fact, did offer up his life freely. And on the way, Isaac said to Abraham, Father, here's the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the sacrifice? And Abraham answered Isaac, God himself will provide a lamb. Our first reading tonight, Exodus 12, tells us yet again of the appearance of a lamb. Note how many times lamb shows up in that first reading. The lamb and its blood will be the means to rescue the descendants of Abraham from the angel who brought death to the firstborn of Egypt, which was a foreshadowing of the death that God would inflict upon the firstborn of Satan, as we're going to hear on Holy Saturday night. The lamb is to be slaughtered in the evening twilight with the whole assembly gathered together. And its blood was sprinkled on the doors of the houses of the people. Its flesh had to be eaten by the assembly so as to be in communion with the one whose death made possible the rescue from slavery and from hopelessness. Tomorrow in our first reading, We're going to hear from Isaiah chapter 53, which tells of us of of another mysterious figure, a suffering servant, despised, rejected, who somehow bore our guilt, was wounded for our transgressions, pierced for our iniquities, and by whose stripes we were healed. This figure, we're told in a prophecy that extraordinarily so, is fulfilled in the passion and the death of Jesus. This figure was led like a lamb to the slaughter. After telling us about Jesus' birth and his gospel, St. Luke tells us this. And in that region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with fear. And the angel said to them, Be not afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of a great joy which will come to all the people. For to you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord And this will be a sign for you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. I don't know if you know this, but these weren't ordinary shepherds, and these weren't ordinary sheep. They were probably the sheep that were being raised for the Passover sacrifice, the one that we hear about in Exodus. And the shepherds had one task, to make sure that as these young lambs, which are sheep in their first year, were to grow up without blemish, without bruises, without injuries, because the lamb that was sacrificed at the Passover had to be a lamb without blemish. So the shepherds used to do something to protect these lambs from injury. You know what they did? They wrapped them in swaddling clothes. All of these Old Testament images and prophecies, they were in the background of the people's minds on that one real day when St. John the Baptist on the banks of the Jordan River, unexpectedly and out of nowhere, pointed to a man walking by in the crowd, and cried out at the top of his lungs, there he is! That's him. That's the one Abraham said God would provide. That's the one foreshadowed in the Passover. That's the one Isaiah prophesied about. That's the lamb. That's the one who takes away the sins of the world. That's our hope. That's the quote on that side of the wall. And so in Revelation 5, after the weeping over the fact that history seemed to be stuck in hopelessness, we read this. Then one of the elders said to me, weep not. Lo, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, is conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals, and between the throne and the four living creatures, and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain. And he went and took the scroll, and when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, and they sang a new song saying, worthy art thou to take the scroll and to open its seals, for thou wast slain and by thy blood didst ransom men for God from every tribe and tongue and people and nation and hast made them a kingdom and priests to our God and they shall reign on the earth. This slain and yet miraculously standing lamb this one who alone can unlock the scroll, this one who alone can rescue our race from hopelessness, he's the solution. He's the only real, definitive, and ultimate solution to our problems, our discouragement, and our despair. And he has a name. And his glorious, all-powerful, majestic, and beautiful name is Jesus. And with the appearance of this lamb comes the end of the eclipse of God. That is to say, God is made visible in Jesus. In the events of these three days, we come to see that God is not only real and that he's not simply omnipotent. God is love, and he acts. He rescues, he frees, he intervenes, he saves, and he fights for his children. So as to deliver them from what are hopeless situations, that is, he rescues us from the clutches of death and from Satan's grip. And he continues to feed us all along this journey that we call life until we finally get to our true homeland, and the food he feeds us with is nothing less than himself. His own body and his blood, foreshadowed in the first Passover meal thousands of years ago, fulfilled in the Eucharist instituted on this night in that upper room, and given us tonight from this altar, which the Archbishop consecrated for us last week. These scriptures in our sanctuary, though they were uttered hundreds of years apart, they stand us or stand before us as a constant reminder of the fact that God knows what he's doing. The world isn't stuck. History and life isn't meaningless. And so with that, let me share with you the one thing that I think God most wants to say to us tonight, tomorrow, Saturday, most especially perhaps to those of us who find ourselves here tonight discouraged, maybe even depressed or in despair for whatever reason. It comes from Exodus chapter 14, a passage we're going to hear on Holy Saturday night. The Israelites have been rescued from slavery in Egypt, but Egypt realizes what it's done, wakes up and says, we got to go after them. And so they pursue the Israelites and they trap them at the Red Sea. And so now the Israelites are faced with a big body of water in front of them and the most powerful army in the world behind them. And there is no... Way out, or so it would seem. And they do what I would do they scream in fright. And then God tells Moses to tell the people, God tells me to tell you, God's telling me with all that's going on in my life, these words. Tell them to stand still and to watch because I am going to fight for them. Whatever it is that's causing you or me to feel discouraged or hopeless, to feel stuck powerless, to feel unloved or as though you don't matter, just sit still in these days and watch because God is fighting for you. He's fighting for you and for me against our ultimate foes, against death and against sin and against hell itself, and watch as he utterly and definitively triumphs over them. Watch as he conquers the grave. And if he's done this for us, and he has, what can't he do? And what won't he do? The eclipse is over. It ended in these three days. Perhaps it can end for some of us who have forgotten that in these three days as we keep vigil. God has appeared in Jesus crucified and risen, and so too his favorite creature reemerges, a creature he thinks is worth saving, worth rescuing, and worth dying for. That creature is you and me. And here's his promise. He who sits upon the throne will shelter them with his presence. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst anymore. The sun shall not strike them nor any scorching heat, for the Lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd, and he will guide them to springs of living water, and God will wipe every Tear from their eyes. Turns out America does have hope. The world has hope. You and I have hope. All because God has not only provided, but has in fact become Himself a lamb. We adore you, O Christ, and we praise you, because by your holy cross you have redeemed the world.